One person can sit down and write a great series of emails, but there's a reason why you need to hire a sales force of people because when you get organized, you target the right people, you prospect in them, you get the right multi-threaded cadence, you engage, you use your human connection, and you personally engage with people. That's how you get results, not by robo-bombing everybody. It's true. It's true. Welcome to the Sales Prescription Podcast with Ron Halbert and Rusty Jensen. You know, there's all kinds of problems that can prevent you from being successful both personally and professionally. And we are here to write you some highly effective and broad spectrum sales prescriptions. And all you have to do is fill them. You know, Ron, today we're getting back to some of the fundamentals of prospecting and salesmanship in general in this new age of doing business. And we had talked previously in our last episode about cadences and cadence design, this idea of having a multi-threaded approach of contacting and engaging people in different ways and in different mediums that people use. The way that they communicate, we hit them where they are. And we hit them in many different angles because different people prefer to communicate in different ways. And one of the things that we always jump into is the key ingredients around writing the right kinds of email messages. And this even applies and extends to other kinds of messages, like those in social media, which we're, we're going to do another podcast about in social yeah. selling. But it extends into any kind of short messaging and digital communication that we're trying to utilize to get with our prospects. Yeah. And so as we get into this, I, I think um, this would be a great episode. Now, a reminder... Emails is not the only way to prospect. <laughs> How many people do we have that just jump in and just go 100% all into emails? Yep. They start getting some success. Then they go from, you know, okay, if I could send out 1,000 emails and get four opportunities, if I send 500,000 emails, I'll get, yep. you know, a the, million the opportunities. Challenge, the challenge is it's just not scalable. Right. Like emailing can work if you have the ability to send 33,000 emails a day, you're going to get responses 100%, sure. right? But you're also going to miss a lot of stuff. Right. So if you're running large organizations where you have a lot of reps, you know, having every rep send 33,000 emails, that's not scalable. There's not enough companies out there for you to be doing that. So if you actually want to get in front of decision makers consistently, it requires all of the different reach outs. Yeah. And you hit the law of diminishing returns. If you're yep. not well organized, you're not targeting the right companies, the right contacts, that's going to give you more leverage than any number of emails you can possibly send. And I'll tell you what, Rusty, what's interesting about that. If you believe that in your in sales development, you're basically assigning yourself out of a job. Hmm. We don't need you because Marketo can send mass amounts of emails. Right. You know what I mean? Like if you think that's what sales is, then you don't need sales development. And that, All you need is a marketing automation tool and you're done. You know, that kind of has like an element of humor, but it is so true. Yep. I mean, really, I mean, one person can sit down and write a great series of emails, but there's a reason why you need to hire a sales force of people because when you get organized, you target the right people, you prospect in them, you get the right multi-threaded cadence, you engage, you use your human connection and you personally engage with people. That's how you get results, not by robo-bombing everybody. It's true. It's true. And really, like, that's the value we provide as salespeople. We provide the value of being real, being a human, yeah. someone that they can connect with, someone that's worth connecting with. But at the end of the day, Marketo can send a lot of emails. A lot. It is true. It's true. 
And when we think about emails, I think one topic that we need to cover as a starting point is to start now getting into the psychology of how human beings treat things like their email inboxes. Mm-hmm. I think as you're doing prospecting, it's important to understand the behaviors and the typical patterns of the people you're trying to prospect into. How do they react to things? And when you think about email, everybody has like a different approach to email. You know, we actually had Randy Littleson on the podcast, who's a you know very detail-oriented CMO. He's high-performing executive. I think if his email inbox gets over three unread emails, blood pressure starts to go up, yeah. right? I mean, it is the cleanest, tidiest inbox I've ever seen. And then there's other people like you, that, like me, <laughs> that may have 14,000 unread emails, you know, that's, as a comment. And then they treat their, their inbox as, as triage. But either way, what most people view their inbox as is a to-do list of tasks that they need to accomplish. They'll take the emails that come in, They'll look at the ones that are important, they prioritize, and then they go through and work through those emails until they can get through them. Yep. Now, some people will do that in a triage method, where they'll just kind of, you know, ransack the inbox, go through it as fast as they can, see what's going on. Other people are very efficient and will disregard things that don't matter, put the things in that do, and make sure that they're managed. But people will prioritize and execute against what's in the inbox. Yep. Now, I can just tell you that as someone who is in that triage mode, you know, trying to sift through thousands of emails. The number one thing I look for is, is something important for me to look at? Mm -hmm. And so I'll give each email two and a half seconds before I make a snap judgment. And the snap judgment is based upon two big things, Rusty, for everyone. Who did it come from? Do I know them? Mm -hmm. It's the first thing. If you're in sales, they don't know you (laughs) most of the time. Right. Right. And then the second is the subject line. Right. Because they're not seeing the body. They're looking at the subject line. Right. What does that say? Exactly. Drive interest. And so as we get into kind of these subject lines, so so Ron, let's talk about what are some of the tips and tricks around subject lines at first? Because this is very true. If I know someone or if if something's in there where it seems like I need to pay attention, it draws me in. The subject line is is a critical element. And it can't be the subject lines of like Thank you. You just got it entered into it. Yep. And hey, I want to talk to you about it. Da, 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 da. Yep. Right? It can't be that where it's like a it's like a paragraph in the subject line <laughs> where you can't even read the first six words. Yep. What are some of the tips and tricks that actually make subject lines grab people? Yeah. So a couple things on that. So first of all, I got to give shout outs to where I got some of this data. We've done some of our own research, Rusty and I, but a lot of this information comes from working with Sales Loft as a partner within our last company, also working with Serious Decisions, working with Insight Partners. And so a lot of this information is really cool because it's based upon millions of emails worth of data. It's not just, hey, this is what Ron thinks is a good idea or what Rusty thinks is a good idea, right? But I wanted to mention one of the things psychologically that happens when I look at my emails if I think the email is from a bot or, a, you know, it's not a person, it actually releases some endorphins into your body when you delete it. Like deleting your emails, it makes you happy. It releases endorphins. You just don't want to offend someone. You don't want to miss something that you shouldn't have missed, right? But one of the easiest ways for me to know it's from a bot is 15 words in the subject line. No, yes. no real person does that, right? No. So the first tip is like, you should never use more than four words in a subject line, really. Four words is like, 
the sweet spot or less. Um, that's that's the ideal. So try and keep it roughly to that grouping. And we saw like really huge lifts in response rates. What The way this was measured, and maybe I should mention that as well, is basically everything was looked at as an average response rate. So they took all the emails and, and measured an average response rate based upon all the millions of emails. And then they looked for similarities in emails with higher response rates. And they talk about the lift above the average, right? The percent lift above the average. So really more than five words in a subject line, you actually saw a negative response rate. So it was below average response rate at over five words. Not something you want to do, right? Well, because it's it's a dead giveaway that it's potentially a bot or it's it's been mm-hmm. created by an organization as a whole. It's just too long because most people, when they're communicating with each other, don't do that. Yep. What about things like punctuation or like yeah. uppercase letters, words? Like, what about things like yeah, that? Yeah, they looked at some of that stuff as well, and it's pretty fascinating. I mean, I would, <laughs> something they discovered is all caps beats all lowercase. So all caps was getting higher response rates than all okay. lowercase, which I thought was interesting, but I wouldn't recommend that really. I think all caps is viewed as like yelling. It's like, Yeah. So it's like yelling through email. So I don't know that I'd recommend that. I'm having trouble controlling the volume of my voice. (laughs) Exactly right. Yes. (laughs) From a punctuation perspective, what they found is no punctuation is good. Not using it in a subject line at all. At all. But when it was used, and this is this, I found this fascinating. Asterisks was the number one punctuation used like when they looked at the commonality of it having an asterisk in the subject line it had higher response rates because that basically says pay attention yeah like we know that subconsciously to say pay attention yeah so i mean honestly before i got that data from one of my old sales loft customer service people that i worked with Mm -hmm. i never thought to put an asterisk in really even in an email but apparently works well in subject lines so What, what about things like numbers terrible Okay. <laughs> Never use numbers. Everything with numbers, whether it was a percentage, a dollar figure, no number in a subject line is good. Okay. Every single time a number was used, the response rates were vastly below average, like very strongly below average, which just don't do it. So sometimes there's this idea to try to draw people in by maybe putting in company names. Like you feel like you can connect with somebody better by putting their company name in. What about a situation like that? Yeah, it's interesting. They found that it's actually better to use your own company name than theirs. Hmm. Not saying that you have to use your company name, but if you're going to use one, don't use their company name. In fact, when they saw their company name in the subject line, response rates went way below average. Your company name response rates were actually above average in those situations. I think the reason why is because who's using your own company name in the subject line? When I, you know, like think about like when you're emailing a friend or another colleague, you're not putting your own company name in the subject line. Right. (laughs) Like I would never send an email to you and say conga. Yeah. Right. Just, it just isn't going to happen. Right. But so use your own and then they at least have an idea of where it's coming from. They also found a few other interesting things. Greetings work. So, and, and this is pretty fascinating, but the number one greeting response was hello, uh, followed by hi, and then hey. And this is in the subject line, not the body. This mm. is the actual subject line. 
And we're going to talk about the body in a minute, but, but what's interesting is in the body of the email, it's not the same as the subject line. It's different. Yeah. And so the word hello had the highest response rates to average, but I will tell you the number one thing of everything that I've learned about subject lines, the number one thing is referred the word referred. If you were referred by someone, you have to say it in the subject line because your response rates will increase. And this is a true stat by more than five times the response rates. And and when I think back on that, I'm pretty confident anytime someone has mentioned somebody else's name or, or, or said a referral of somebody that I know, I always at least go in and read it to see what's going on. Yep. Now I'm still looking to see if they're a salesperson, but I actually am thinking yep. through, okay, what is this? What's going on? Did somebody recommend me? Like you need to figure out what's going on because yep. he's talking about you. hundred percent. Yeah. I'll give you my tip of the day. My special tip of the day, Rusty, because right. it's something I used as a sales developer. I try to train my team to do it, but I don't think they do because it takes more work. And that is, and Matt Lampros mentioned it when he was on a podcast in the past, but I do something called a name call to start out. The name call is where I call the mainline phone number And I ask the person that answers, the secretary or whoever answers the mainline phone number, hey, I'm trying to get a hold of Russell. Does he go by Russell? Russell Jensen? And they say, oh, no, he goes by Rusty, right? I call that a name call because I'm extracting what they go by. So my name is Ronald, but I know that if I see Ronald in an email, it's not from someone I know. It's not from someone that knows or has heard of me because I don't go by Ronald, right? I go by Ron. And so that name call is pretty valuable, but I'll give you the bigger reason why I did it. I would also confirm from the secretary, is Rusty the person I should be contacting? Mm. And the secretary would say, yes, that is the person. Then in the subject line, I would say, hey, (laughs) referred by Lisa at the front desk, referred by Lisa or whatever, right? And then in the body, I'd say, hey, I uh, talked to Lisa at the front desk to make sure you're the right person to talk to. She told me that you were. Is that true? Right. Short and sweet, just to confirm that the right person to try and talk to about whatever I'm trying to sell. that's where you get those response rates. And response rates are through the roof when you do that little tip. Awesome. Flattery, I'll go through a couple of these because I'm quickly here, but like flattery works really well in subject lines using words like congrats or congratulations. Both of those are effective. Direct asks are very effective. So when you just get to the ask, the question, Like, I know this is more than four words, but like, are you the right person? That kind of direct ask oftentimes gets a pretty decent response rate. Yeah. And one of the things I think is important to remind everybody here, these are just subject lines. Yep. So when somebody sees though in in their email box and they're triaging and they see an ask that says, I'd like to have a call or I'd like to have a conversation or are you the right person? Or, or when they when they see those direct asks, immediately they tend to prioritize it because they look at it and say, okay, I got to figure out what the rest of this is. Because again, when you're going through it, it this is a checklist. You're just mm-hmm. trying to get through the email inbox. If something seems important, you got to check it out. That's why when they use other people's names, referrals, asks, like it's engaging them. It's bringing, drawing them into it because they feel like it's something they may have to figure out. Yeah. Right. I like the subject line, is this you? I like that subject line. It always worked really well for me. Is this you? And then in the body, I would just ask, are you the person I should be talking to about X, Y, Z? Because yeah, that could mean a lot of things. Yeah. So you got to read it and see what's going on. High open rate in the, is this you? Right. Subject line. I'll, I'll right. say that. I think that they're like 
worried maybe like this picture of them online. Or yeah, something. yeah, I'd probably try to download pictures on that one. Just make sure I'm not getting into trouble. Exactly. Breakup language still works. So a lot of people like breakup language. If you can include some of that breakup language inside of a subject line, it does work there. Influence and persuasion language, not good. So what does that mean? It's words like special, exclusive, free, need, limited. Those types of words, not good. Anything said on an infomercial, just don't say it here. <laughs> you want to avoid anything. For easy ever payments. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So like if it says anything on the infomercial, just don't include it in the subject line. Because you're giving away that you're selling something. Yeah, exactly. You're not communicating importance at all, mm-hmm. right? Yep. So they're just going to cut that away. What about things like emotions? Yeah, so a lot of research on this as well. Neutral tones had the highest response rates. Okay. So neither positive nor negative in the subject line, that is. Informational. Just informational, direct ask, something simple, very basic. Those tones had the highest response rates. Also gives don't get in the sense that content is not good to include in subject lines. Mm. Do not include data. Do not include content. Do not include anything like that, right? You have not shown enough value that anything you say they should listen to, you know? So throwing out data and information and content, stuff like that in the subject line, you haven't earned the right for them to look at that information yet. Yeah, like you, you got to talk to them first. Because remember, you're just trying to get them to look at the body yep. of the email. That subject line, that's the goal. Look at the body, right? The body is, I mean, everything you're doing is to try and facilitate a phone call ultimately. And then last thing for subject lines that I think is interesting is try not to use the word you or your in subject line. So just ignore those words. Both of them had pretty high negative response rates. So those are some of the tips for subject lines that I think goes a long way when it comes to trying to get people to open up your emails. And it's funny, I've talked to a lot of people about is open rate something that you want to calculate and consider, right? Because open rate doesn't necessarily translate to closed one business all the time. Right. But it is important. If they don't open your email you're never going to get them on the phone. Yeah. Like they have to look at the body. It is important. Right. And we measure open rate. We measure click rate. We measure response rates. All those things are important, but you're not going to get a response if they don't open the email. I'll tell you that much right now. True. So absolutely. So it is important to look at. And if you're getting really low open rates, it's likely a, a bad subject line. That's likely why it doesn't mean you have to go change the whole email, but you should look at the subject line. So the next thing I want to talk about is the body of the email, Rusty. And I'd love for you to kind of walk me through some of the tips that you give when drafting emails and creating the body of the email overall. Because the natural tendency is to try to write a dissertation, right? To kind of sell them through an entire email. And remember, again, you're not trying to sell them through an email. You as a salesperson, the whole goal is getting them on a call. Remember that. Mm -hmm. The email should facilitate a conversation. You're not selling them through the email. So when you think about the email, it's broken up a couple of parts. You've got the greeting line, and then you have like a main body of of information. And typically you'll have some kind of request called action. And then of course you have your your signature. So we'll kind of walk through how some of that that is constructed. And the first is on the greeting line. And some people leave greeting lines off completely. Some people just say the name, which is traditional. There's nothing wrong with that. But sometimes we want to say hi. And one of the worst things you do is just say hi, comma, and don't say their name. That Do not do that. 
Right? Yeah, that's that's like oh, that came from marketing. Automation. That came automation. from automation. That, that screams automation. Mm-hmm. Any any greeting without a name. <laughs> right. <laughs> Frankly, hi, hey, hello, any of those just and a comma? No. But you can say hi or hey or hello and then their name. But I'll tell you what will work better is when you say hey. Yeah. Like hey Ron. Now, in the subject line, hello works better. But when you say hello Ronald, you know, that's they're going to say, who is this? Stalker. You got to think of the subject line as more like a wave from a distance. Yeah. And when they open the body, now they're up in your face. Now they're talking to you in person. Right. So the body can be a little more informal. Yes. A wave from a distance is okay. But if you're standing a foot away from me and I wave at you, that's just weird. Right. You know what I mean? So hello is a wave from a distance. Hey is a shake of the hand. Right. You can very much think of it as like a conversation. Mm-hmm. It's cleaner, crisper, but it's like a conversation. So, hey, Ron, you, you can almost say it in a casual way and it kind of comes out, which is also why when you write the body of the email, it's also important to personalize what you're saying. So around 20% of the body of the email should be personalized. And when we talk about personalization, we're talking about you've gone on LinkedIn, you've researched something, you're commenting about something, you're referencing a particular individual that you've spoken to. You're talking about a corporate initiative you know they have because you've seen it in an earnings call. You're pulling in some kind of personalization to catch their attention. And that's often good to have right at the beginning so they can see, okay, there's some kind of a connection here. Because remember, the subject line that pulls them in, they may think, okay, do I know Ron? Do I know this person? Was I like, what's happening? And then when you can pull in a little bit of personalization, you can see that there's been some investment in the communication and it seems more personal, more relevant. You know why it works, Rusty? Mm. 90% of people don't do it. It's work. Yeah, it is work. It's a lot of work. Like most people these days in the days of sales engagement tools, like outreach and sales loft and, and marketing automation tools, people want automated emails. They, they're lazy. We don't want to have to do it. But we found most effective when it comes to personalization, the 10-80-10 rule. 10% in the beginning, 80% in the middle can be templated, and then 10% at the end. So the 10 at the beginning and the 10 at the end are custom. It's personalized. It's for that person, right? If you have intent data, mention what keyword they used. Right. If you have any information about that company, use that information at your disposal or the person, right? Like I had, I got a really cool email the other day about a person that was like, talked about working dads, right? I've never even heard the term working dads. That's kind of an interesting term, but like she referenced working dads and she's like, Oh, like I I can see you have multiple kids. I mean, she clearly knows who I am. She somehow looked me up. right? Right. And I'm thinking like, Oh, this person knows I'm a father. So that's, they've done some form of research. That is a person. That's not an automation tool. Right. And when it's that personalized, it, it will catch the attention for the rest. So then when you go to the middle and you want to present some kind of a request or some kind of an engagement, you can then put information in front of them and request in front of them and you can customize again at the end, which is, which yep. is perfect. One of the things you got to be careful of though is the length. So these emails cannot be long. Again, think of triage, right? I saw a subject line. I opened it. I look in here. Really, you should be maybe three lines and then separate it again and then have another sentence and question. So any email should not be very long. If it's really long, people are just going to skip it. They're going to look for keywords, try to understand what's going on. They're going to skip it. It should also be somewhat clear in that email what you do. Like it should be somewhat easy to see 
one of the things I really like is a question mm-hmm. that says, do you have anything to do with these things that seems very clear as to what it is that that's done? Not by giving a pitch, but by talking about something specific that's right to the point. I think those are very important things to do, right? Yep. As you get tight. But as you do it, you don't want to get fancy. Nope. So you want to be really subtle in terms of how you engage, but you don't want to use a lot of big words, things you wouldn't say to somebody normally, mm-hmm. right? You don't want to use vocabulary words or, or ways of, of framing things to where you sound really smart. This isn't like a college paper. This is a conversational piece. Yep. And what works the best there? I have a 10-year-old daughter who's very smart and she's amazing. If she could write the email like the words she uses in an email, a smart 10-year-old, that's perfect. That's the ideal caliber of email, like language you want to use. When you start using things at a high school or post-secondary verbiage, you're going to start to see negative response rates because that's not how normal people talk. Right. Right. I had a uh, recently worked with a vendor who's creating some campaigns for us. And part of the campaigns was drafting some email templates. And, and I got the emails and I'm like, man, this is the most eloquent email I've ever seen in my life. Like it's, it's something I would never write. It's something that right. no one I know. And, and, and I got to talk into the campaign leader and he was telling me, he's like, yeah, like this person, she's a professional writer. She's went to all these, like telling me about her accolades and what university she went to and all this. And I'm like, that's great. That's amazing. But that doesn't work for sales emails. That doesn't no. work to get connection with people. And specifically prospecting emails. Mm-hmm. Prospecting emails. You're right. It does. It works in cycle. Or in a blog. Yeah. In a blog. All that stuff's yes. great there. Very good. Mm-hmm. But if I'm just trying to create quick connection with you, unless the person I'm writing is a professional writer that went to Harvard as well and writes at that same level, I'm going to feel like that's not my kind of person. I can't connect with that person. Right. But everybody, at least, you know, most adults can speak at the level and write at the level as an intelligent 10 year old. Right. And I think if you read them out loud as you write these emails and just say them out loud, if it's something that you would say when you talk to somebody who you're trying to communicate with at human to human, you're on the right track. If it sounds like something you would read to your professor in front of your class, you're on the <laughs> wrong track, right? Exactly. So I think it, that's, that's a good way to think of it. When it comes to also getting fancy, like let's also go back to grammar school, which is, <laughs> you know, putting in bullets, dashes, putting in, you know, all this structure. And, and, and now again, it's good to create paragraphs in separation, Because little chunks, like when you separate out the body, it's easier to read and consume. But when you're putting in bullet points and things like that, what you're doing is you're saying, I'm a salesperson. Here are the points. Yeah. Those bullet points, those dashes, like everyone wants to use them. In fact, I'll admit, Rusty, they're in some of my sequences. Like it's hard to avoid them, frankly. But bullets and dashes did have a below average response rate on those emails. So I think... The probably the primary reason for it is because everyone does it and it's become salesy. It's not become real. And it's something that's very easy to use dynamic fields for. So uh, I will warn people here, dynamic fields are not personalization. You can't create dynamic fields in your uh, sales engagement platform and say, oh, I did my personalization because 
I pulled company name out of the CRM and inserted it into the email. That is not personalization. Okay. Now I'm not saying you shouldn't use dynamic fields. You should use them, but they are not personalization and bullet points enable you to use dynamic fields in a very simple and easy way, which is why I think a lot of people use them. Yeah. Yeah. Overall. Now, as you do them, you can put them as a part of an entire sequence yeah, or an entire cadence to try to provide additional context because people will also not respond if they don't know who you are. Like, what, what do you want to talk about? I don't, I don't get it, right? They don't fully understand. So sometimes you may want to put in a couple of bullet points and then have a secondary follow-up email. Or maybe you can double email them. So you can send one with some information and then send another email and say, hey, by the way, I just sent this to you. So you have a better idea. You know, it's a little bit, like you yeah. can do things like that, but just be very, very careful because you will have a tendency to want to do it. And, and I think those are great points, Ron. Great yeah. points. Before we had sales engagement, I used to do this uh, as part of my sequence that was just out of Outlook back then. This is when dinosaurs roamed the earth. <laughs> I would send an email with bullet points and then I would later forward that email from my cell phone and just say, did you get this? And I had really good response rates on that. I read great response rates, but I don't think it, it was because when I said, did you get this? Now they went through and read the bullet points before they just saw that there was bullet points and deleted my email. And then the second email, did you get this? Drove them to actually read the bullet points and not to mention open the email, right? right. Because it's just a one sentence, did you get this? Catches attention. It does. When it's a forwarded email. Totally does. Totally does. And I, I love that tactic. It still mm-hmm. works. Yeah. Now, as a second portion of the email, a lot of times, you know, you'll, you'll kind of go through the greeting, then you'll have like a little bit of, of a situation in the body, right? Mm-hmm. You're kind of making a statement, providing some value, doing a little personalization. And then comes a time where you want to make some kind of a request or make a statement that is to try to get engagement mm-hmm. and a call to action. And in a prospecting email, that's really what you're, you're trying to do is to get a response. So oftentimes actually asking a question in an email can be a really good thing. I love asking questions in emails, but not multiple questions. So you can ask a question, but it needs to be specific to be requesting an answer. You're, you're requesting something and that answer needs to be easy to answer. Mm-hmm. So when you say things like, hey, it's my understanding you're best around this subject matter, right? Or you are the best person to talk about contact center technology or the automation of the creation of documents or your phone system, whatever. When you ask that specific question and say, is that right? It's a very easy question to answer. Mm -hmm. And that works because again, people are looking at their email inbox as a to-do list. And when they can say yes or no, or are you the right person? And they can say yes or no, or refer someone else. It's easy to answer and to get past that, especially when they get the third email from you, they realize you're not going away and they need to, they need to react. So I think asking a question is good. Rhetorical questions are not though. So when you ask like three questions, have you ever thought about this? Does this ever happen to you? Like questions that that are really not meant to be answered. Those are giveaways for sales. So when it comes to questions, you can use them, just be specific to try to get a response. So, and, and let me just reiterate one thing that you said, but I want to make sure it was clear. It's not only that you can ask a question, you should always ask one question. You should never ask two. So one question should be included in every email you send. There has to be a question included. But more than one question 
not good. Just too much. It's too much. People aren't going to respond. There's a couple of the things that tend to float around inside of emails, which would be things in the body you'll see, which would be things like hyperlinks, videos, and images. Mm -hmm. And all can be used in certain context. So hyperlinks, again, are risky because when you put links in the body, particularly in the middle, Mm -hmm. they're better at the end. But when you put hyperlinks in, you got to remember that when people click on hyperlinks, it could be a phishing thing. It could be a security problem. It could be other issues. People don't love to click on links. It also is a giveaway. Like yep. here, click on this. Like they, it's a giveaway. It's not just a giveaway yourselves. It's just, it triggers something inside of people when they see things that are common, automated, robodyne, calling things where they're trying to prioritize and they're trying to see if they should respond to you. And so hyperlinks, you tend to need to avoid them. Yep. Right. Again, the double email tactic can work there. Videos can actually work really well because they personalize. Mm-hmm. So they can see you and you have their name written and they, they can engage and they can see and interact with you and they can see your personality. And a lot of times people will, will click on them to see who you are and your communication can be appealing, especially yeah. if it's humanizing. If you're in sales development or in leadership or something, you've been hit up by these video companies. They have something like it is very good, very positive to use videos in tactics while emailing people. It works. 100% support that. Getting adoption for it can be challenging. In my experience, most reps hate creating them. But if you can get them past that, response pitch be very high when you include video. And if you aren't using video today and that's something of interest, reach out to us. We have some connections. We can hook you up with some people that have really good video platforms overall. 100%. Now, images can be okay, but you got to be careful with those, right? Because remember that if you try to spend a lot of time customizing images, what will happen is you'll send the emails and most of them get removed from the emails automatically from servers because they take up a lot of space. So images are actually removed and they have to right-click and download images to see them. So expect that. And that means put the image typically after the body so that if the image was compressed into a little box, you can still read the email normally. The, the email should be able to stand alone, but some images can actually catch attention and they can be used, but they shouldn't be like a structured set of five images around. Like that's not going to work with a prospecting email. Yeah, PowerPoint, like copy paste PowerPoint slide, probably not a good idea, right? right? But an image that's an actual photo of something, those tend to have decent response rates. Like yeah. it's okay to include a photo. I just wouldn't copy and paste your PowerPoint slide with all your arrows and bubbles and all that other stuff that like nobody's going to read through that, right? Right, so. right. Now, as a last point, we just want to talk about signature. And so typically what will work the best is when somebody says like best or mm-hmm. cheers versus like thanks or thank you. Mm-hmm. Those actually work better. Things like PS, like PS, you know, let me tell you more about, no, 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 they don't like, or put a link in a PS that doesn't work. But when, when you go and actually do your, your subject line, there's a couple other tricks you can use. Like one of them is if you do have a hyperlink that you want to include, like you could actually have like even three potential hyperlinks with some of the dashes or even like a straight up and down symbol. And you can put like a couple hyperlinks that people can click on that look like they're a part of your signature. That actually works. So you can have hyperlinks that are inside of your signature that actually works pretty well because then it looks like it's a part of the signature and then they can actually click into it if they want to, to get more information. 
that actually works a lot better than putting it up in the body. Mm -hmm. Another thing is you can put your picture in it too. So again, that personalizes things. If you've got a really nice picture that you can put in there of you, it kind of says, oh, okay. It makes you feel like it's a real person. That actually does work. You get better response rates. And so when it comes to the actual signature, it's common to have links and all that stuff from anyone who sends anything. So you can kind of massage some of those, those tricks into it and you'll, you'll have a lot more success on the, on the signature side. Use your common sense too, right? Don't post your photo of you eating a barbecue wing in your tank top, yeah. right? <laughs> I can't use that one, Ron. <laughs> don't use that one. You know, no, okay. we don't need the barbecue wing in your you know white tank top with barbecue sauce all over it. Right. But use something that is professional, something that you believe would represent your brand well. Try to keep it appropriate according to, you know, what you feel is best overall. Well, and go back and listen to this episode. Write a lot of this stuff down. This will transform your response rates. And we appreciate all the time that everybody has spent. Ron, thanks for taking time today because this is a really important episode on some of these fundamentals and some of the blocking and tackling when it comes to sales and being successful. So we encourage you to take the time to kind of learn and understand these things. They work. It comes from thousands and thousands of hours of research, investment, A-B testing that has kind of shown these types of results. So use these tips, model them, and you'll be a lot more successful. We appreciate you listening to the Sales Prescription Podcast. Please find us on LinkedIn. You can also find us on any of the different podcast places you like to go, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, et cetera. And we'll continue to produce this content for you. We appreciate our listeners. Please follow us on LinkedIn. Follow us on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, wherever you are. And please feel free to reach out to us. We're happy to help you and help you become successful so that you can, again, progress and grow and be successful in your careers. And we thank you. Appreciate it, guys. Thanks, everybody. Thank you.